this world gives us a lot of reasons to worry and stress. And if your hope is in this world and nothing more than this world, then stress and anxiety and worry make all the sense. Because you're basing your your security on everything that you can see and touch and experience. It's all the temporal. Worry is the emotional price we pay for loving the things of the world. But if your hope is in Christ, if your hope is beyond this world, a life beyond this, then worrying about material things of this world really makes no sense. Because you can't take it with you anyway, and it doesn't, it doesn't assure you a place in heaven. As Jesus is going to speak about this, it comes on the heels of giving this parable of the rich fool. And Jesus gives that parable in response to a man who in the crowd who cried out to Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me or to equitably split the inheritance. And Jesus refuses to get involved in that that domestic squabble. Instead, he gives this parable of the rich fool. And it was a man, a farmer who planted and did all the things that farmers do, and he got a bumper crop, a huge influx, and so much grain that he, he didn't have any place to put it. He says, I, my barn's already full, and I've got more grain. I don't know what I'm going to do. And thought about it for a, a second. He said, I know, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones, and I'll store all my goods, and it'll keep me uh, well-fed and in and, and the money for many years, and I'll sit back and take it easy. I'll just take early retirement. And the response is, you fool. In fact, you can see it there in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? He says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The, The rich man was a fool not because he tore down his barns and built bigger ones. He was a fool not because he worked hard and had a bumper crop. He was a fool because he never considered God in the whole equation. He was a fool because he was only living for the temporal and he wasn't thinking about the eternal at all. And he was a fool because his soul would be required that night and he had no place for God in his life. So with that as the background, Jesus is going to speak directly to his disciples He has been speaking to the crowd with that parable. And now he's going to focus back on the twelve. The rest of the crowd can listen in. But he's going to focus on them and talk to them about worry. In the next twelve verses, he's going to tell them not to fret about the temporal, but to focus on the eternal. So he starts with don't fret about the, the temporal. In verse 22, he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life, as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to, uh, as to what you will put on it. The first thing he says is don't worry. Don't worry. Now, it would be easy if it was somebody said don't worry. You went, okay, let's stop worrying. But he's going to tell us what not to worry about. And specifically here, it's the daily needs that we have. Food and clothing, specifically. But he starts with, for this reason. And that ties it back to the parable of the rich fool. And specifically verses 20 and 21 where God said your soul will be required of you. And he says so is the man who stores up treasures for himself but is not rich toward God. 
The person that focuses on the temporal is a fool, as opposed to the person whose focus is on the things of God. So he says, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. The point of the parable is it's foolish to focus on temporal things of this world and ignore the eternal things of God. And we have a myriad of things in our world that are temporal that scream for our attention. That that shout out and their still small voice of God is in the background whispering, say, come to me, come this direction. With all the things that scream for our attention and tend to dominate our mind and our concerns, the kingdom of God should be at the top of that. Of all the things that we can think about, of all the things that we can occupy our time, our talents, and our treasures with, the kingdom of God should be at the top. It's when it's not that the stress happens. When we get the priorities mixed up, then anxiety is right behind. So what keeps many Christians from living a life that is rich toward God? What is it about the, the concerns of this world that grab our attention? Well, there's a, there seems to be a fear among many people of not getting what they think they need or what they want or what they think they deserve. Oh, this has been lived out in our own society in recent months, has it not? How many times has Costco run out of toilet paper? Got to get the toilet paper, man. I, I need this. And, well, I get it, you know. I drove, I walked to my mailbox one day and, uh, several months ago now and one of my neighbor's garage doors opened. I get, there was like eight cases of toilet paper in there. I don't know what their health situation is, but it seemed excessive to me. We feel like we gotta get something. We gotta get it before it runs out. We gotta get it before somebody else takes it. We need, we deserve, we want. Jesus is about to show the child of God that worry is worthless. It's foolish. It makes no sense for the child of God to worry. He wants his followers to live with the eternal in mind, not the temporal. So he starts to address the two main things that people in that society particularly worried about much of the time. Now, in their society, they worried mostly about food and clothing. We sort of do too, but not to the degree that they did. you got to realize that they didn't have Costco's back then. They didn't have in the trunk of their chariot eight pounds of peanut butter, 20 pounds of flour, and a case of toilet paper. So they lived day to day. They grew their own food and they, they ate that or they bartered for it or they caught it in the lake or they, uh, they, uh, lived for that day. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have pasteurization. They didn't have those things. So you ate what you got that day. And for most people, they had one, maybe two changes of clothing. They didn't have multiple changes of clothing. They didn't have to go into their closet today and say, well, what's clean? So they didn't have to decide what to wear. It was whatever they had. They really didn't get much choice of what to eat. They didn't have a pantry full of canned goods that would last the next six months. And for the disciples, whom Jesus is addressing directly there, they had left their careers, they had left their jobs to follow Jesus. And they couldn't cash in their 401ks and support themselves at that time. So they didn't work, there was no income. They were totally dependent upon outside gifts 
financial gifts to support this ministry. So when Jesus says to them, don't worry about what you're going to eat, and what you're going to wear, for those men at that time, that was a significant step of faith. As it would be for anybody that was in the crowd. Worrying about the things of this world, even important things like food and clothing, can become very distracting and undermine the Christian testimony and derail the disciple. And some people in some societies, and maybe even our own, are worried about what they're going to have for breakfast, and they wring their hands until breakfast comes, and they eat breakfast, and as soon as that's done, they're worrying about what's going to be for lunch. And in a society where you had to grow your own food, and you only had so much food per day, you can understand why that might be a problem. And for the disciples to get distracted by those things, and wondering where's the next meal going to come from, we just finished breakfast. We got to make sure we, we got things ready for lunch and dinner before we do any other ministry. It would have been very distracting and concerning. So Jesus is about to tell them not to worry about their life, not to worry about what's the, when the next meal is going to come or if they're going to have enough, enough clothing. It's important to know that Jesus is not saying that they are to be ambivalent about life. Just don't care about anything. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is concerned about the physical needs of people. We see that in the fact that he healed everyone he ever came in contact with that was sick. He cast out demons of anybody in his vicinity that was demon-possessed. He created food to feed the 5,000 and then later the 4,000. And he told us to pray and in that prayer to say, Father, give us this day our daily bread. So he does care about our physical needs, these temporal physical needs. But he's saying for the child of God, you don't need to worry about that because that's going to be taken care of. Jesus is fully aware of the tyranny of earthly things that so easily dominate our minds, become our priorities. He knows the constant need for food and clothing can become a distraction and for some an obsession and for others... They see it as the reflection of their life. Anxiety over these things, these temporal things, divert attention away from God. They take away the need to live by faith, which is necessary to please God. It elevates our own comfort and our own satisfaction as the top priority in our life and demotes God to somewhere below the grocery store and the department store. Anxiety over these important temporal things have a way of taking what is important in our, what should be important in our life and throwing it away and causing us to focus on things that have no lasting value. He says in verse 23, here's the reason. The reason he said not to worry. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. There's more important things, he's saying, to worry about than your next meal and what you're going to put on your body. Your body is more than a mannequin to put clothes on. You and I are intended to use our bodies for God's glory, not really as a display for people to admire. I, that's hard for me when I'm in front of people because so many people admire. It's not that funny. To expose the flaw of worrying about these temporal things, Jesus gives two 
illustrations to consider. The first addresses food. The second one addresses clothing. So he says, do consider the birds. Verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom, no barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? The raven, this black bird that is the smaller cousin of the crow, was a scavenger, is a scavenger. In fact, Leviticus chapter 11 says it is an unclean bird. It's actually abominable. It's, it's, you're to avoid that bird. You can't eat that bird. And Jesus doesn't choose the raven arbitrarily. He chooses it intentionally to teach the disciples a lesson if God will actively feed a bird that he himself declared to be unclean, how much more will he feed his children who are created in his image and who have been adopted into his family? These birds don't work. They, they're not like the farmer. They didn't sow the, uh, plow the field, sow the seeds, reap the seeds, or reap the field and store it up. They do nothing. And yet God provides for them. Realize on any given day, every raven in the world is dependent upon God to feed them. Ever thought about that? Every, every bird And the world is dependent upon God to feed them. I don't know how many ravens are in the world. I tried to count them and I said, never more. (laughs) See who remembers their high school reading list. How much more valuable are you than the birds? This is the point of the example. If God will feed this unclean bird, how much more will he take care of you? You're more valuable than birds. Particularly if you belong to God through the adoption of sons. We've been created in His image, adopted into His family. Now this is important. Jesus is not saying here that all you need to do is just sit around and play Minecraft all day and wait for God to deliver you a pizza if you get hungry. We are to work hard. We're told to work hard. Proverbs 14, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. We're told to plan in Proverbs 6. We're told to be good stewards of all that God has given us in Titus 1. So Jesus is not saying here, hey, don't have any plan, don't work hard, don't, don't go to the grocery store, don't plan meals, don't write grocery lists, don't do any of that stuff. Just sit back and I'll drop manna in your lap. But God does promise to meet the needs of His faithful children. Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God's promise is He'll not leave you. He'll not forsake you. In Psalm 37, verse 25, David wrote, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. David's saying, throughout my entire life, I have never seen those who dedicate themselves to God ever going hungry. Never standing on the side of the road begging people for bread. 
This is not saying you never miss a meal. Somebody came to me after the first service and said, does just mean Christians never starve? I said, no, I was starving yesterday. So. This is this point that God is going to care for you in His way, in His time, His promise. We're much more valuable than the birds. If you're going to care for the birds, He'll care for His own. For that reason, do consider yourself. Do consider yourself. Look at verse 25. And which of you... By worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan. If you have a King James, it says add one cubit to his stature. And the Greek is, is, uh, can really be used either way, but the best, most obvious translation is to add any time, and the word was be cubit there, any length to your life, to your lifespan. So, NAS translators, editors chose to put you can add a single hour to your lifespan. How can you, can you worry yourself into another 24 hours? Or another hour? Another 60 minutes? You don't need medicine, you just need to worry more. You know, I, I, I want to I live longer, so I'm going to worry more. We know that's not right, that's dumb. Worry actually damages your life. Damages your heart. Damages your mind. Worry does not benefit your life at all. It actually distracts from your life. It detracts from your life. It takes away from your life. Worry takes a terrible toll on life. Worry is a thief. Worry steals time. As you contemplate the worst things that can happen and your mind reels about what would happen and you wring your hands, worry is stealing that time from you that you could use better. It steals joy. There's no joy in worry. I've never seen a person say, I'm so happy I'm worried. You know, if you just worry more, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my worry. Unable to to find joy in things because the worry overshadows the joy. Worry steals rest. You lie awake at night, you toss and turn, and because you can't turn your mind off and rest in the Lord. Worry steals health. Causes ulcers and upset stomachs and headaches and exhaustion. Worry steals obedience to God. We should be giving thanks in all things. In everything, give thanks. And when we worry, we're on the exact opposite of thanks. We're saying, God, you're not paying attention. God, you're not listening. God, you don't recognize my need. God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? Instead of rejoicing in all things, we're complaining. We're worrying in all things. Worry steals hope. We've been going to hope in Christ. Hope that overcomes the world. And we sacrifice hope on the altar of anxiety. We take the hope that we're supposed to be enjoying this joy of the Lord, this peace that surpasses understanding, and we lay it on the altar of anxiety and give it over. Kierkegaard said this, quote, No grand inquisitor has in readiness 
such terrible tortures as anxiety, end quote. I think that's true. Nothing tortures you more than anxiety. Worry shrivels the soul, leaves us feeling helpless and hopeless, particularly in the face of spiritual and emotional challenges. Worry discourages the soul, dismantles contentment, and destroys our witness. Worry tells the world that our God is uncaring, uninvolved, or incapable of meeting the challenges that we face. When we worry, we're telling the world our God can't handle it. Our God is not enough. The second illustration has to do with flowers. Do consider the flowers. Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Possibly Jesus, when he gave this, there were some wildflowers around, and he says, consider the flowers. Look at the intricacies, the, the beauty of these flowers, the, the, the shapely leaves, the bright whites, the deep purples, the vivid yellows, the vibrant reds, and how it's all blended together and all, everything looks just right, and how gorgeous they are. Artists have been trying to capture the beauty of flowers for centuries. They don't work for it. They don't spin wool. They don't spin silk. They don't weave fabrics. They don't operate a loom. They don't stitch things together. They don't dye fabrics, these intricate colors, and clothe themselves. God gave it to them that way. God clothed them like that. I don't know if you've ever been or if you ever get the chance to go up to British Columbia and see the Bouchard Gardens. Some 900 varieties of flowers and plants there, and it's gorgeous. You walk through the rose garden, hundreds of varieties of roses, and each slightly different, some variegated, some solid, some ruffly leaves, some smooth leaves. It's just beautiful, the variety that's there. It's gorgeous. Or if you've been up to the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, and you've seen the hundreds and thousands of tulips up there, and some are solid, and some are multicolored, and it's just gorgeous. Jesus is saying, God did that. If God will clothe the flowers, how much more will He clothe you? Compared to the beauty of these flowers, Solomon's most regal robes are nothing more than an old bathrobe. God made sure the flowers are beautifully clothed and were more valuable than the flowers. So therefore, consider yourself. Consider yourself. Verse 28, But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown in the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? Jesus is just using some logic here. Like He's feeding the birds. Look at the way He he clothed the flowers. If God cares that much about plants, which have a, a very short lifespan, how much more will He care about your clothing as a child of God, as someone created in his image that represents him to the world, has been adopted into his family. Verse 29, he says, and do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying. 
Again, it's important that Jesus is not saying, don't pay any attention to what you eat. Or don't pay any attention to what you wear. He's not saying, it makes no difference what you wear as long as you've got something on. He's not saying here it's wrong to buy new clothes. Men, he's not saying to you men, go ahead men, doesn't matter. Don't worry about what you wear. Put that baby blue plaid polyester leisure suit on. Wear the four inch tie and the white patent leather shoes with matching belt. I dare one of you to wear that next week. He's not saying look like a nerd. He's just saying that's not something that you need to be worried about. Now, if we're honest, most of us aren't worried about having clothes. The worry is, what clothes am I going to wear today? He's saying we're not to be slaves to those things. We're not to be occupied by stress, why worry about these things. Leave these things in the hands of the Lord. You men of little faith. You men who think, if I don't do something, I'm going to starve. If I don't do something, I'm not going to have enough to wear. If I don't work at this, if I don't worry about this, then it won't take place. It won't happen. i gotta, I got to put all this effort. i got to make sure this takes place. No, back to we need to work hard. We need to plan. It's okay. Write a grocery list. Nothing wrong with that. Go out to eat. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when we worry that God is not going to care for our temporal needs. And he gives us the reason why this is important in verse 30. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you have need of these things. The nation's word is ethnos there. It's where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. And he's speaking about everybody outside of Judaism in this case and all the Gentiles. And the context in the, in the culture, it would be the unbelievers. The gospel hadn't really gone to the Gentiles yet, so it's the unbelievers. So this is what unbelievers do. This is what unbelievers seek after. These are the people who don't have Yahweh as their God. This is what they're stressed about. But your father knows you have needs of those things. Unbelievers worry about temporal things because that's where their hope is. They have no hope beyond this world, beyond this life. So it's whatever they can gather in this life, that's what's most important. And Jesus is saying, your Father knows what you need. So don't worry about those temporal things. When the child of God is anxious, it conveys unbelief. It denies or at least disbelieves the promises that God has made to us. Like, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Or I'll never leave you or forsake you. Anxiety says, I don't believe that. I don't believe that God is really going to supply all my needs. I believe unless I do something on myself, if I don't take this pressure on myself, it's not going to happen. Worry denies God's goodness. It says, God does not have my best interest in mind. When I am worried and anxious about something, I am saying, God, you are not paying attention to my life. If you were paying attention to what was going on, you wouldn't allow me to be in this stressful situation. 
God, if I don't have these certain things, then I can't be happy, so you therefore don't care about my happiness. You're not good. Worry denies God's sovereignty by saying God is not not doing things well, not doing things right. I've been waiting on the Lord. I've been waiting for three days. And God still hasn't given it to me. He must not be able to. Or willing to. I want you to understand completely that worrying tells others that our God cannot be trusted. When we worry about things, when we stress about things, when we're overcome with anxiety, we are telling others by our testimony, you cannot trust my God. You can't trust Him with your heart. You can't trust Him with your needs. He's going to let you suffer unjustly. A poet wrote the following poem. Said the raven to the sparrow, I should really like to know why the anxious humans rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the raven, Friend, I think it, that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But we do have a heavenly father that cares for us. And he cares for us individually. And his care in one person's life may not be the same as his care in another person's life, but he loves us all completely and he knows the way that he wants to conform us to the image of his son. And because we have a heavenly father, we don't, we don't need to focus on the temporal, but we do need to focus on the eternal. Focus on the eternal. And we start by seeking God's kingdom. Verse 31. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. These things in the context here is food and clothing. Matthew's parallel would say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now this verse has been abused by prosperity preachers and ripped from its context to say if you just you just claim to follow God first then he'll give you everything you want. If you want a fancy car, a new house, a, a boat, you want to be rich, then you just put God first and he'll make sure all those things happen. That is not at all what this verse promises. This verse does not promise that you're going to be wealthy. This verse promises that all your needs will be met. And what those needs are, God knows better than we know. And how He meets them is up to Him. He's going to make certain that we always have the food that we need, the clothes that we need, the shelter that we need. Or we can put it another way. The liberation from worry comes when we seek God's rule and reign in our life and to make Him known to others. When I seek God's rule and reign in my life and seek to make Him known to others, then He liberates me from worry. I have nothing else to worry about because I'm focused on the eternal. 
This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. I need to use what God gives me for His glory to advance His kingdom. It's that simple. He says, don't be afraid in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Uses this little term of endearment, little flock, to show compassion. You little, you little sheep, don't worry about these things. I'm going to take care. It's like an adult saying to a, a, a little child, don't worry. It's, just, it's okay. I got this. this is, it, we're going to be all right. Don't worry. And Jesus says, don't worry because your Father, speaking of God the Father, has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You are children of the King and you are going to inherit the kingdom. We are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Christ. Jesus is going to inherit the kingdom from His Father and we are going to share in that inheritance. It's great promises. No need to worry. No need to worry about the temporal. The eternal's sewn up. The eternal's done deal. With that in mind, do invest in eternity. Do invest in eternity. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belt, which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. Now this is not intended to be a vow of poverty. That's not what Jesus is implying here, that every Christian should take a vow of poverty. Rather, the intent is to take a vow of generosity. That I'm going to be generous. That I'm not going to hold on to anything too tightly in this world, any of these temporal things that I can't take with me anyway, and I'll use it for God's glory whenever He asks me to. We can be generous because we know that God will always meet our needs. You cannot outgive God. It's impossible. If you're doing it with the right heart attitude, you can't outgive God. If you're doing it to get rich, you'll lose. But if you do this with the right heart attitude, you can't outgive Him. He says, Make for yourselves money belts which you do not wear out. That is some place to store your treasure. They would have these leather money belts, little flaps that they would hide money in and wear around their waist to try to keep the thieves from knowing they had any money. And Jesus says, make for yourselves money belts which you do not wear out. In other words, put your treasure in something that can't be destroyed, something that can't be corrupted, something that can't decay or degrade. Stored in something secure. Not something that will eventually wear out. Put it someplace where corruption can't get to it, rust can't affect it. Put it someplace where thieves can't get it. Well, the only place that that exists is heaven. There's no place on this earth that you can store something that can't ultimately be destroyed or stolen. So you ought to store it up in heaven. Well, how do we store up treasures in heaven? Got to find one of those tubes, just stick it in and go. Well, you store up treasures in heaven by investing in the eternal. Well, what's that like? Well, souls are eternal. Every person has a soul and that soul is eternal. 
And it's going to go somewhere for eternity. It's going to go to heaven or it's going to go to hell. And we can invest in heaven by investing souls so they know about Christ. When we invest in the spread of the gospel around the world and, and locally, we are investing in eternal souls. We can invest in the gospel and the propagation of the gospel because the gospel is eternal. It's never going to go away. And we can invest in the propagation of that, the spreading of that, the facilitating of, of communicating that gospel to any number of people. Be it through new translations, tracts, videos, word of mouth, missionaries. The glory of God is eternal. And we invest in things that glorify God. That stores up treasures in heaven. Bigger barns are not eternal. They're temporal. The ministry of Jesus Christ is eternal. Giving the gospel is eternal. As long as this church preaches God's word and is focused on giving God the glory and evangelizing the lost and edifying the believer, then the things that we do here are eternal. They have an eternal consequence. Why is investing in the eternal so important? Well, verse 34 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart and your treasure go hand in hand. Your heart is the safety deposit box of your life. What you store away in your heart is what you really think is important. Jesus says where your treasure is, where what you invest in, that's what you truly love. So if your focus in this world is on the temporal things, then that's what you really love. If what you find treasure, your treasure is what you can own, what you can possess on this earth, be it clothing, be it food, be it jewelry, be it electronics, be it anything, be it a car, a house, if that's where your heart is, if that's what you treasure most, then that's what your heart loves. And if you're rich on this earth and not rich toward God, I refer you back to the parable where Jesus said, you fool. You fool. Anyone that is rich in this world not rich toward God is a fool. If your heart is for the things of God, investing your treasure is easy. You don't really worry about it too much. Because... It's eternal, and God's going to provide all you need anyway. If your focus is the temporal, you'll never have enough, and you'll always worry. Statistically, they say the wealthy worry more than the poor. The poor don't have much to worry about. It's the wealthy that are worried about how to keep their wealth. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What you find value in, that's what you truly love. Where's your heart? What do you treasure in your heart? Is it eternal? Or is it temporal? Invest in the eternal. Store up treasures in heaven.
Make that your number one priority. If God allows you to store up treasures on earth at the same time, use it for His glory. But make your main focus the glory of God and the eternal. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You love us so much that You invested the life of Your Son so that we could be saved. That, Father, Your treasure is Your children. And that's where Your heart was. It's for us. And, Father, I pray that we would be men and women who are focused on the eternal, not the temporal. Father, we recognize that we need certain things to get through this world. Father, let us recognize that you already know those needs and you're going to meet them. And we lose nothing by focusing on the eternal, but we gain everything. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord, they are obviously only focused on the temporal because that's all they know. I pray that your spirit would open up their eyes to their need to focus on the eternal and they would come to saving faith in Christ. Father, let your people who are called by your name live their lives a life that reflects a heart that loves heaven, that loves the gospel, that loves your glory. And Father, may we invest in those things. May our focus be storing up treasures in heaven and not on this earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?